911. What is the address of the emergency? Um, Women's Street, um, uh, I think it's uh, Blackhawk or something like that. Uh, let me check real quick. Okay. It's, uh, it's Blooming Street and Blackhawk. Okay, is it Blackhawk Way, Blackhawk Street? Okay, give me one second. Just repeat that intersection for verification. Blooming Street and Blackhawk. Okay, are you sure you're not on, um, give me one second. Is it possibly Evergreen? No, this is a little... Okay, well, no, I understand that. I just don't show you anywhere near a Blackhawk. It's Blackhawk. Okay, just stay on the line. Give me one moment. I don't show you... What I'm saying is I don't show you anywhere near Billings and Blackhawk. What about Billings Street and Evergreen? Okay, that's where I show you near. Okay, what's the phone number you're calling from? My name is Lamar Hardwick. I'm a husband, father of three, pastor, scholar, author, and all-around avid reader and lover of all things culture. And in 2014, at the age of 36 years old, I was diagnosed with autism. This is the Autism Pastor Podcast where we discuss all things culture, politics, faith, religion, and spirituality, all through the lens of someone loving, learning, and living while on the autism spectrum. Welcome to the Autism Pastor Podcast. Hey, this is Lamar, and if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Most people who know me know that I'm fairly apolitical. I don't attach myself to political party or persuasion by choice. I've always tried to use my platform and influence wisely. I prefer to do my work on the ground. I serve a church where racial, gender, and economic diversity are high values, and we believe in racial reconciliation and justice. I serve a community that I'm proud to say is making a real effort in tackling these tough times, and Even in the past, I've served with many others in the community on racial trust building, 
over the last couple of years, we are invested in making a difference. And I believe that we are making progress. But that being said, I'm about to share something that is raw and honest. Howard Thurman once said that fear is one of the persistent hounds of hell that dogs the footsteps of the poor to dispossess the disinherited. There's nothing new or recent about fear. It is doubtless as old as the life of man on the planet. Fears are of many kinds. Fear of objects, fear of people, fear of the future, fear of nature, fear of the unknown, fear of old age, fear of disease, and fear itself. August of 2019, police officers in Aurora, Colorado, approached 23-year-old Elijah McClain based on a 911 call they had received about a suspicious male walking the streets with a ski mask on while waving and flailing his arms erratically. I, like most, have been deeply troubled over the state of affairs in our nation and really around the world. I think everyone is, so in that regard, I don't consider myself special in any way. We're all upset, but there's something about the video and the audio in this case penetrated my soul. I watched, and more importantly heard, the audio. What I heard was fear. Consternation had won the competition over compassion, and fear had complete control. And as always, when fear is the emotion that communicates the choices we should make, death always occurs. I believe that Thomas Aquinas once said that fear is such a powerful emotion for humans that when we allow it to take us over, it drives compassion right out of our hearts. This is the power of fear. Fear always leads us to sentence one another to death, and the same fear always seeks to acquit itself of wrongdoing. Fear is a problem that presents itself as the answer. The truth is, however, where there is no compassion, there can never be correction. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul insists that God does not give us the spirit of fear. Yet if I were to be completely honest, when I see the police behind me on the road, even if I'm 100% sure that I have broken no laws, I'm deathly afraid. Now I know what you're probably thinking. This podcast, at least today, not about race. It's not about my fear because I'm black. Some of my fear stems from the fact like Elijah, I am different. Stop, dude. Oh, Relax. Just relax. Relax.
I just don't like going home. I'm just different. I'm just different. That's all. That's all I was doing. It was actually Rosenberg. I'm so sorry. I have no good. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why were you touching me? I don't do good. I don't even kill flies. I don't eat meat. I, and I'm not a vegetarian. I don't judge people. No, I mean, I tried to stop him. I tried to live a secret. When we showed him up, when we showed up, he was wearing a skin. And I just picked all up. Forgive me. Yeah. All I was trying to do was become better. We started that because he reached for a rose and gun. And we had him on the wall. But I'll do it. I'll do it. All right, what do you do? I will do it. I'm just different, that's all. I'm just different. So I listened to the audio of Elijah communicating the fact that he couldn't breathe. The thing that struck me perhaps the most is his self-identification of being different. He continues to plead that he's just different and because he communicates his difference, I can't help but to think what could have possibly been different about this situation. So let's go back and see where it all started from the beginning. And your name? Juan. And your last name, Juan? Okay, tell me exactly what happened. So there's a so there's a guy. He has a, he's watching the the opposite. What's the opposite of Mark? South. South. Yeah, he's walking south on Billing Street. He has a mask on. Okay. And then. And then when I pass by him, he puts he puts his hands up and does all these kinds of signs. I don't know, he he looks good to you. I don't mean, he might be okay. a good person or a bad person. Yeah. But yeah. you know, not fun. Okay. Those arms. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna put a call in so officers can go see what's going on, okay? Are you still at that location now? Yeah. Okay. All right. When did this happen? When did you see him? Right now, he's like I'm okay. I just turned around and he's like putting his hands up. Okay. Don't approach him, okay? If you need to, just drive away. I don't want you to go near him. Were any weapons involved or mentioned? No. Okay. I already have a call in, okay? I need to get his full description. What race is he? I think he's a, a black male. Okay. Um, How old does he look? I know he's wearing a mask. I have no clue. Okay. What color is the mask or what does it look like? Black. black mask. He's like a gas station on Billy Street on Colfax Mask. 
Okay. Is it like a ski mask, or what type of mask is it? Yeah, like a ski mask. Okay. And then what else is he wearing? Uh, oh, I don't know. He's that color is like a, a brown long suit shirt. Or okay. And then black sweat. Okay. Sweatpants. Okay. Um, give me one moment. I'm just adding notes. Are you or anyone else in danger right now? No. Okay. We have this call in, sir. Don't approach that person and do not disturb anything at the scene. We are going to have officers dispatched to check the area and try to locate him, okay? Okay. He's, he's uh, walking towards uh, the gas station on Yep. I let them know that, okay? So don't follow him or anything. We're going to have officers come check the area, okay? Okay. Just call us back immediately if anything changes or if you have any further information. Thank you. All right. And do you need officers to contact you, sir? Um, no, it's fine. Okay. Thank you. Call us back immediately if anything changes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Like most 911 calls, it all started because something was different. Something was out of the ordinary, something that didn't quite make sense, and that's to be expected. I mean, we call 911 and get the authorities involved when something different, something out of the ordinary is happening. I understand that. I've made those calls myself. On September 12th, 2001, I had a personal encounter with police that could have ended my life. The tension was high that day because just 24 hours earlier, our country had been attacked by terrorists. And at the time, I was a young manager for a large retail company, and I had just finished up the evening by closing down the store. With the night crew inside stocking shelves, I followed protocol by driving my car around the building to be sure it was secure. I reached the side alley of the building, I noticed a car backed in front of the emergency exit door and it had no license plate. I called the police because I was afraid that someone may have been hiding in the store and with the terrorist attacks happening just the day before, I wanted to make sure that my night crew was safe. Just a mere three to four minutes after placing a call to 911, my car was surrounded by three, maybe four police cars. At the time, I had no clue what was going on because they were shining their high beams into my car and I was completely blinded by the light. I had no idea who it was, how many of them were surrounding me, and if they did or did not have guns drawn on me. I froze. Then I cried. Didn't want to die. They yelled across the loud speaker to roll my window down and place my hands out of the vehicle. And at the time, my car didn't have automatic windows, so rolling the window down meant literally dropping my hands below their line of sight. I couldn't see them, what they were doing, or how close they were to me. I assumed they had their guns drawn, so I froze. And then I cried some more. I didn't dare move because although they had instructed me to roll the windows down, my fear for my own life told me that as soon as I reached down, they would shoot me. 
So here I am in the alley on the side of the store, praying not to get shot, preparing to meet my maker because I was certain I was going to be shot. After what seems like an eternity at a standstill, one lone officer approached my car. He must have told his fellow officers to turn their lights off. He tapped on my window and told me that it was okay. I was going to be okay. And he kindly and slowly asked me again to roll down the window. I was terrified and he knew it. And he saved me and the other officers from doing something that could have ended in all of us surrendering to our fear. I don't know where he is today, but needless to say, I was thankful that he didn't allow fear to control him or the situation. And in that moment, he didn't allow fear to drive all the compassion out of his heart. He did not know me. He did not know that I was the person who made the initial call. I was sitting in my car in an alley late at night after they received a call about a suspicious car in an alley on the day after the most devastating terror attack on our country and all the ingredients for a fatal shooting of an unarmed person were present. Except we decided to defuse the situation. Although there was something different that warranted the call, did not allow what was different to be, make him to become indifferent. I often ask myself why I didn't just do what they asked me to do. And it wasn't until I realized just how different I was when I was diagnosed with autism that I realized that I struggle with something called executive functioning. Now I can neither confirm nor deny that Elijah McClain was on an autism spectrum. But when he explained to the officers that he was just different, I couldn't help think that maybe some of the indifference was because of his difference. In fact, when I was approached a night in 2001, it was very difficult for me to be able to comprehend everything that I needed to do in that moment because the lights were bright, the sounds were loud, there were multiple voices in my own fear and different way of processing what was happening caused me to freeze and not respond in the way that I probably should have. Hey, this is Lamar and I'm cutting in on this episode just to give you a little bit of context. You see, this episode about the life and tragic death of Elijah McClain was actually recorded and set to air well over a year ago after I learned about his case uh, a year ago. But uh, God's honest truth is, after researching his case, I had to live and relive and reread. And it caused a lot of trauma that actually prevented me from publishing the episode. See, I think a year later I've learned that maybe perhaps I was holding out some bit of hope that there would be some justice for Elijah. 
because we've tended to see these things not play out in our favor. And while the episode was about being different and you hear me in the episode acknowledge that I cannot deny or confirm that Elijah was like myself, autistic. He does self-identify as being different. And that struck a chord with me because as you heard in the episode, I've always known that I'm different. You know, I've always said that in order to make a difference, you have to be willing to be different. So maybe some of my holding out hope is that things would be different. And after a year later, with the global pandemic, COVID-19, over 550,000 deaths here in this country, more racial injustice as we witness even injustice against our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, it just seemed like things weren't getting any better and things weren't being any different than they've always been. And so I had to revisit this episode just to unravel my own complicated history with being different and how sometimes being different can actually be dangerous. And so while this episode was intended to talk about Elijah and perhaps his connection to the autism community and his connection to my life and my experiences with policing and my experiences with justice and my experiences overall with being different. A year later, I've learned that things still are slowly, slowly changing. And in many ways, a lot of things just aren't much different than they used to be. You know, I think one of the things that we can learn from this whole global pandemic is that we have to make some adjustments rapidly if we're going to make our country a much less dangerous place to live for people who are different. I mean, after all, isn't that what the diversity and inclusion discussion has been about? It's been a discussion about the fact that everything that we have known to be true and right for centuries has come from one set of voices who have decided what is right and true. And those of us who are different are now raising our voices and saying that in order for us to make a difference in this country, we've got to be willing to not just think differently, live differently, but listen to the different voices who have been on the margins telling us that things must change. And so while I continue to grieve for Elijah McClain and for all others whose difference has deemed them as dangerous, I think the lesson that needs to be learned and maybe the moment to grasp for hope is that because of this pandemic, the world has changed. Things are different. And what better time for us to make the changes from being indifferent to those who are different to actually accepting, acknowledging, including, and valuing the voices of those who are different. So that maybe, just maybe, in this country, we could make it much less dangerous to be different. This is Lamar, and you're listening to the Autism Pastor Podcast.